Well, we didn't think we would be coming to you online for our first service of 2021. And uh, I must say, I, I want to let you into the journey a little bit. Uh, when we heard that we weren't able to, to meet and to gather, obviously it's, um, it really tests your Christianity um, because we love to gather and we love to be together. We love to be family. And so we had about 20 minutes of a good freak out. And uh, then we just you know, got the word of Jesus in us and felt the peace of Holy Spirit. And we felt something so clear, which I want to communicate today. And that's that we felt the Lord say this, don't let something matter more that doesn't matter most. I know that's something we've said a lot in this house, but there's a fresh revelation even from my own heart on that statement. Don't let something matter more that doesn't matter most. And so do we value gathering the way we have been gathering? Absolutely. Are we going to forsake and neglect gathering? Absolutely not. We believe in gathering. We believe in being the people of God. But we're not going to let something matter more that doesn't matter most. And what matters most is that in this moment, in this hour in history, we get the gospel of Jesus Christ out. And you need to hear it. We need to hear it. Everybody you know needs to hear the message of Jesus. And it is our responsibility as the church. We carry the mandate of being the embodiment of God's voice on the earth. And right now, there are many other voices. You're hearing voices of our government. You're hearing voices of doctors and scientists and people all over the world that are speaking different things at this time, different things about what we're going through. But what we need is the people of God. And even those who don't know Jesus, what they're crying out for is the voice of God in this hour. We cannot be a people defined by situations, circumstances, and the opinions of men. We have to be defined and shaped and led by the voice of God, by the Holy Spirit in this hour and in this season. Holy Spirit is the greatest, not even the greatest, He's the only governor of the kingdom of God on the earth. He's the perfect governor. And He governs through us, through you and me. We've become the body of His government. And so I want to share a word with you today that I pray sets us up and uh, positions us for 2021. Um, I don't believe that I can, in one sermon, somehow radically put you in the perfect place, but I hope that it provokes you to seek the Lord. I hope that, that what I share with you today doesn't just give you goosebumps and maybe make you feel a little bit better than you felt earlier, but actually I pray that this message would provoke you and, and move you to seek the Lord and to begin to make the adjustments in your heart and life so that we can be the bride and the body of Christ in this hour. Jesus is coming back for a bride. That's what he says in Revelations. He's coming back for a bride. While we're here on the earth, we get to function as a family, as a body. And God's given us different giftings and strengths and amazing things that bless one another, that equip one another, that strengthen each other. But at the end of the day, when he comes back, he's coming back for a bride. So I want to encourage you. Are you living with the heart of a bride right now? In this moment, in this hour, are you carrying the heart of a bride? Or are you carrying the heart of a slave? It's real important and real uh, vital for us as believers to recognize the moment that we're in. And I've been encouraged to listen to people all over the world, people that I respect, men and women of God, that are recognizing the hour, recognizing the moment, and saying, His return is soon. Here's the reality. Whether He comes in our lifetime or doesn't, you'll stand before Him anyway. But I guarantee you that if we look at Scripture and you read Matthew 24 and, uh, and you just begin to look at the signs that Jesus gave us to begin to recognize the beginning of the end time, we've seen it. And so we have to know in our hearts, we're not, we're not going over the top and trying to uh, you know, prove something or, or justify something, but we're recognizing what's happening around us in the world. And we realize that His return is soon. And I want His return, and I pray that you do too. I pray that the return of Jesus is not something that scares you or terrifies you. I pray it's something your heart longs for. See, if we don't long for the return of Jesus, we've fallen in love with this world. Holy Spirit, I pray you minister that to their hearts as they listen to this, Lord, that our hearts would begin to long for your return, that we would not have fallen in love with this world and forsaken our first love. In Jesus' name. You know, in Ephesus, uh, to the letter to the church in Ephesus in Revelations, Jesus says that that's what he had against them was that they had forsaken their first love. And uh, at this hour, we've got to make sure that everything that we do as the people of God is driven by love. It's driven by bridal love. That's, that's a huge deal. Even when we do times like this, you know, we have gatherings. You know, the Lord spoke to me and He said, Connor, if, you, if you're fighting for a service, then you've built an institution. But if you're fighting for the kingdom, then you're walking in the will of God on the earth. Because at the end of the day, that's what we're about. The things that we want to defend as the people of God is not 
whether we can have a nice, perfect service. The, the reality is we know that in the end times, it's going to get really difficult to do a bunch of stuff that we used to do. And so we cannot be stuck in our old ways, but what we must do is make sure that we hold to the values of the kingdom of God, the things that are meant to govern us as his people. And those are the things that begin to shape our decisions, not fear, not the opinions of men, not even the voice of our government whom we honor and love. The reason why we're online today is because we honor them and we love them. We love our city. We love our nation. We love our president. But what governs our life, what governs our decisions is the kingdom of God. This is a real vital thing for us to understand at this time. Matthew 6, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The Lord's been speaking to me about seeking first the kingdom, and it was amazing that this morning my dad mentioned it as well as we were praying, that this morning he woke up with the same thing, which just encouraged me. But to seek first the kingdom, what does that look like? It's very important that we understand what the kingdom is. And I want to maybe uh, clarify that a little bit as we get into this. But we need to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Why is it also his righteousness? It's also his righteousness because if you try to uh, live a life governed by the kingdom of God in your own strength, you'll never make it. But if you seek his kingdom, to, be, to live in his kingdom, to be governed by his kingdom through his righteousness then you'll live the life that God created and ordained you to live. So righteousness is a big deal. We need the righteousness of God, not our own righteousness. And I want to encourage you, Dan Mola says this. He says, righteousness and rightness are two different things. Jesus was right. We know Jesus was right on the earth. But he wasn't just right. He was righteous. And righteousness makes the wrong things right. Right is just an opinion. You're right. Your opinion is correct. That's what rightness is. But righteousness takes the wrong, broken things of this world and makes it right. Justice comes from his righteousness. If we want justice on the earth, we need to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and those things will be added. If you want to see justice lived out on the earth, we need his kingdom and his righteousness. You can look around and say, man, COVID has exposed a whole bunch of stuff. Corruption, theft, fraud, uh, a false agenda in our leadership across the globe, not just in our own country. We love our president. I'm not saying that. I'm saying across the globe, it's exposed a whole bunch of stuff. But the reality is, if we want justice, true justice, the justice of God, which isn't just about being right, it's about making wrong things right. See, the justice of God is never about putting rightness on somebody that makes them feel guilty, ashamed, and condemned. Justice never, the justice of God never does that. The justice of God is in His righteousness, and it takes them from something that they were never created to be and brings them into their created value and identity. Because Jesus, when He had justice, when He ministered justice to us, we didn't deserve to get what we have in Him. So what was the justice that He ministered to us? It was redemption. And so the justice of God always has the heart of redemption. So we need to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. When Jesus begins to minister and preach, he, he begins to, to walk around and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I've been the whole of December just meditating on the kingdom and just asking Holy Spirit to teach me because I hear, I hear that word thrown around a lot and it's because it's what we're meant to be talking about. But I think we've allowed ourselves to, to go into different things and we've defined and measured the kingdom of God by things that were never what God asked us to measure it by. So I'll give you an example. The kingdom of God is not measured by material, earthly, or carnal things. See, you would agree with me in that statement, but I want to challenge you and say this. The kingdom of God is not measured by your earthly prosperity. The kingdom of God can cause you to walk in prosperity, and you can have times of abundance in the Lord because we walk in the blessing. We are blessed. But when did the blessing and the kingdom of God become measured by the riches of your bank account or the possessions that you have? When did ruling, reigning, and taking dominion of the earth equate to being a multimillionaire or a billionaire or a very successful rich person? This is the key. It goes super quiet, not just here, but I can feel it in the spirit. Here's the reality. I believe that God can cause us to walk in abundance and prosperity and all those things. But true prosperity is to be rich with true riches. What are the true riches? These are the treasures, the values, the things that govern the kingdom of heaven. It's the heart of God. 
And so Jesus walks around. He says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He doesn't say, repent, I'm about to bring an institution called the church that's about to change some things on the earth in terms of how we do things and we're going to meet in cool buildings and cathedrals and these massive stadiums. And he doesn't say that. He comes and he says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what does he do? He brings a government, a kingdom, and a value system that we do not recognize nor understand on this earth, but we know we were born for it. What he does, he begins to walk around and minister healing. He begins to restore people. He begins to invite them into what? Reconciliation with God. He begins to teach them that something is going to happen, which would have been his, his death. But before this, he's teaching them something's about to happen. I'm about to do something. I'm the prototype of what you're about to live in. I'm bringing a kingdom that is so far above what you see around you that you cannot be shaped or measured by these things. You have to live from another realm, another dimension. It's called the kingdom of God. And so he says, I'm, he brings the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of God. And so we as the church carry the mandate of his kingdom in this hour. We don't carry a mandate to fight for our rights. We don't carry a mandate to fight for our right to have a say. See, the government doesn't decide whether you have a say or not. Jesus does. It's his kingdom. And the say that we're meant to have was never our own opinion or never something that we formulated or created. It was meant to be the voice of His Spirit within us, expressed and released everywhere that we go. We need to yield. And so he, he, he begins to minister the kingdom. We see signs, wonders, and miracles, and incredible things. And what I was so moved by is both Jesus and Paul, two people that I was looking at. Jesus comes. He lives. The, the, he's everything. He's incredible. He lives the prototype of what we're called to become. So you study the life of Jesus, and he's just perfect. You just, that's what we are in him. We want to be that. And so we need to have an expectation to see those things in our life. But I look at Paul as well because Paul gets this revelation and after Jesus has died and ascended, Paul's involved in the birthing of the global church. And you begin to see how Paul lives his life. And, and I find so much of his life offensive to my uh, church institutional mentality. And I find he, he does things or he doesn't explain things or he doesn't teach on things that I really hoped he would teach on. Because of my little, small, institutional mentality around how I hope this would look. You see, the disciples, when they followed Jesus, when they recognized that he was the Messiah, their hope was that he would come and conquer Rome and build this nice big uh, temple with a throne. And they would all sit around him and they would begin to govern on the earth. That's what they expected of Jesus. And you read through uh, you know, John 14 all the way through to John 17 and you see how Jesus is beginning to shatter their world. He's beginning to say, okay, I'm going to die and I'm going to leave. And, and suddenly their world is rocked going, boy, this is not what we, you know, I thought that was a metaphor. <laughs> I didn't think you were actually going to leave. And suddenly it's becoming real. And you see the disciples wrestling with the reality that this is not what we expected. That Jesus has come with an unexpected way. That this kingdom that he's talking about is not a kingdom that we have a grid reference for here on the earth. It's not this kingdom being redeemed. It's the kingdom of God coming onto the earth. We're not trying to redeem the earth's kingdom. It's the kingdom of God that we're bringing to the earth. And even, I want to encourage you with this. We will rule and reign with Jesus for all of eternity, but we will not rule and reign how we understand it on the earth. We will rule and reign according to the governance of His kingdom and the values and the things that measure His kingdom, not what we measure kingdoms by on the earth. And so we need to make that very clear that God has called you to rule and reign according to His kingdom, not the earth's kingdom. So Jesus, he, he, he ministers and you see these uh, disciples and suddenly it all changes and he's going to die and he dies. And then when they receive the Holy Spirit, when he's raised from the dead, they wait for those 40 days and then the 10 days in the upper room, they receive the Holy Spirit and something is awakened inside of them because they realize that this is an eternal thing. This isn't temporal. This isn't just about while we're here on this planet. This is not just for my lifetime. This is for eternity. And when they receive the Holy Spirit, they've received the very Spirit of Jesus who enlightens and opens up their hearts to understand what governs the kingdom of God. And they recognize the mandate as the church to bring that everywhere that they go. And so suddenly the church is birthed in presence and power. 
and you see that these are a, a people that understand the worth and the value of who Jesus is. They, they spend their time ministering to him. You see that you know, three times a day they were going to the, the prayer room. They were gathering all the time in each other's homes, breaking bread, teaching in the port. These people loved the presence of the Lord. It was everything to them. But not just that his presence was there, but the power of God was there so that those who don't know him would encounter him and be invited to come into his presence and receive eternal life through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we see very quickly that the church was never to be confined by a room or a building, was never to be shaped by services and, and uh, limited gatherings, but it was an explosion of a people that caught the heart of a bride that were living for the glory of their bridegroom. It was a, a group of people that caught the fire and the, the truth of what it means to take dominion on the earth to bring the kingdom of God. In, uh, in Revelations, not Revelations, Romans 14, says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of food and drinking, but it's actually a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I began to think about those things, and I, I thought about what it would look like for my life to be governed by those things. What does it look like for me to live on the earth governed by the righteousness of God, the peace of God, and the joy of God? See, righteousness means I walk in a power that makes wrong things right because I am right with God. Peace means that earthly and temporal situations, circumstances, and conditions cannot decide my well-being. I've received the peace of the Father, peace of His kingdom. I'm governed by peace. And joy, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I have strength to do anything that He's called me to do because I'm filled with the joy of salvation. Those three things change how we live our lives. See, I've read that, and, and again, I'm being honest with you, sometimes those scriptures frustrate me because I wish that he would give more and explain what actually he meant by that. But when you begin to meditate on this Holy Spirit enlightens things, and he begins to show you that the value system of the kingdom of God, when that governs you, it is an upside-down kingdom compared to this earth. It looks nothing like what we expect it to look like. See, I share this with you because if you have an expectation on 2021 looking like something you had hoped it would look like, just be careful. Because the reality is we don't want to set expectations. We want to yield to His. I would rather, I'd rather be someone so yielded and in love with Jesus that my desire is to meet His expectations, not for Him to meet mine. So, so we see Paul the same. He's writing these letters and, and ministering to churches. And you don't see somebody that's so concerned with making sure they get the service right. There's a couple things in 1 Corinthians that he begins to teach, and it's the order of how we operate as the family of God. And you can see he's, he's bringing truth and clarity as to the gifts of the Spirit and how they operate in the family. But he doesn't seem so concerned with, you know, how, how, when should the services be, what time, uh, you know, what, how big should the building be, how many people should we be allowed to have, um, you know, and our rights to have those gatherings every week. And he doesn't seem to, to press into those things. But what he does push into is that the hearts of sons and daughters of the kingdom would know who they are. And he has this beautiful pastoral shepherd heart to communicate to people's hearts, you need to know who you are. Is your heart ready for His return? Are you prepared? Are you living in your created value, your created destiny, your created purpose? Or are you getting wrapped up and sucked into the things of this world, calling it Christianity, but it's a form, form of godliness devoid of power? We don't want to be a church that, that in our city walks in a form with no power. You know, you can have great services, and, and, and I love that our church goes after the presence of the Lord. We have incredible gatherings. But we don't want to just be about services. We want to be a people of the kingdom, sons and daughters of God, that walk in His presence and His power, that are governed by His kingdom, and that bring that reality everywhere that we go. You see, in Ephesians 4, it says that the gifts, that the fivefold gifts that He's given to the church, which I believe are so for now. People, you know, there's so much stuff out there that's trying to take away from that, but the fivefold gifts are given to the church until He returns. And, and they're given to the church for, for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Sometimes I wonder if we got everything backwards and we've got the fivefold gift doing the works of the ministry so that the saints can feel good. And the reality is then you've got a handful of people that everybody treats like heroes and they look up to them and they think they're amazing, rightly so because they've given themselves to Jesus. But the, the rest of the saints never seem to realize that they were born for the works of the kingdom, that they were born to begin to demonstrate the works of the kingdom everywhere that we go. I'm going to bring clarity to this, but just follow me along this road. It's the fivefold responsibility in the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, which means that every single one of you 
are actually carrying the responsibility of the mandate that Jesus has given to us as the church to see his kingdom come on the earth. It was never about a handful of people trying to do it through great administration and organization. It was never about that. It was never about making sure we have a well-organized church that does its programs and systems well to reach the world. If we do that, we'll fail. But the reality is God's awakening the bride right now, the heart of a bride. And what's happening is sons and daughters are realizing who they are. And suddenly you've got a movement of people fully shepherded. They're led. There's eldership and deacons and leaders and and the government of God. And and this isn't, that's a body. That's what a body looks like. That's, That's what happens in a family. But it's not institutional. It's a movement of God on the earth. It is the embodiment of his voice, of his heart, and of the presence and power of God. And so we cannot be a people that the moment that things get difficult around us, we shrink back. I love what David Hogan said. He said, you know, the devil came to play. And he came with a strategy and he he put it out there and all the Christians went on vacation. The devil throws COVID at the globe, shut down, and the Christians go, cool, we'll take it as a vacation and we'll just stay home. We have forgotten that we're in a war, a war that Jesus has won, and he's entrusted the administration of his victory to us. So he said, I've won the war, but I want you to carry the victory into the darkness. See, I want to I say this real quick. I was going to go to Mark 11, but jump with me to Matthew chapter 16. If you've heard me speak at all in the last couple of months, I haven't moved from Matthew 16. This is when Jesus says to him, who do you say that I am? And uh, they, you know, some say Elijah, some say blah, 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 all this stuff. And then he, Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Messiah, the anointed. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, uh, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you, you are Petros, Peter, Petros. And on this rock, Petra, big rock, I will build my church. What is he talking about? He's talking about the revelation of Jesus. On the revelation you just received of who I am, I will build my church. Listen to this. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I want to just tell you that this is happening in Caesarea Philippi, which happened to be the place with two insane, radical, terrible, pagan temples, where the most demonic and evil things happen, that they actually called that location the gates of Hades, the gates of death, because of the demonic stuff that was going on. There was a whole bunch of witchcraft and, and, and really, really evil, evil stuff. I don't have to emphasize that, but it was, it was the gates of Hades expressed on the earth. And Jesus makes this statement at the gates of hell, not in the temple. Jesus is standing in a location of darkness, deep darkness. It's evil. He's surrounded by not only an oppressive uh, government and the Romans that are, are you know, ruling that area and, and oppressing a people, Not only is it that, but he's also standing at the very uh, gates of the demonic realm in that city. And he's standing there and he says, on the revelation of myself, on the revelation of Jesus Christ, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, this darkness, will not overpower it. Why? Because he says this. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to carry the keys of the kingdom? It means that you have the right and the authority through Jesus Christ to unlock on earth what's a reality in heaven. He says you have the keys to to do what? He says you can, whatever you bind, forbid or declare to be improper and unlawful on earth will have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose, you permit or you declare lawful on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. This is important. He's given to the church, the sons and daughters of God. He's given us the keys of his kingdom. And he says, whatever you unlock, whatever you unlock will have already been unlocked in heaven. Whatever you lock, whatever you bind, whatever you close will have already been closed in heaven. What does it mean will have already been? It means that you are recognizing because you're a son and daughter of God, you know what governs the, the kingdom of heaven. And so what you see there, you're, you have the authority to bring here. And so now you have authority, and this is simply down to whether you believe you're a son or daughter of God or not. But if you believe, then you have authority to unlock and to close. And so can you imagine the church understanding the weight of the responsibility that God's given us here on the earth, that actually things like COVID-19, which I want to say to you is an enemy of God. An enemy of God, it's an enemy of the kingdom, and it's an enemy of the church. And we need to stop rolling over and playing nice. And we need to rise up and take the keys of the kingdom and bind what needs to be bound on the earth. 
Imagine a church that recognizes the authority that God's given us in his kingdom. We are sons and daughters of the kingdom, sons and daughters of Zion, sons and daughters of the Lord Most High. There is no one like him. There is not a a match or a war between Satan and God. Satan's trying to deceive man, but God's not deceived. God's won, and he's got the victory, and he's given it to his church, and he's saying, make it known. So here we see Jesus teaching about the kingdom, teaching about the revelation that the people of God will be built on, the ecclesia, the governing body of God on the earth. And he says this statement that he will build this church and the gates of Hades will not prevail. And he says it in the middle of deep darkness. We're in a time of global deep darkness. Deep darkness is covering the earth, but we will arise and shine. Why? Because his glory and his brilliance is rising upon us. And we have to recognize that that is who we are as the church. If you want to turn with me to Mark chapter 11 and Matthew 21, we'll move between those two. It's the same story. There just is one extra thing I want to show you. And this is interesting because Jesus has been walking around teaching on the kingdom of God. And when he teaches the Beatitudes, he shows us the constitution of the kingdom. He teaches us what governs kingdom. And it's totally abstract and upside down to what we would think a king or a ruler would look like on the earth. The things that he says we will inherit and how we will inherit them is things like being poor in spirit. You wouldn't think being poor in spirit is something that you would equate to being ruling and reigning in a kingdom. But Jesus teaches us about this upside-down upside kingdom. And uh, we've seen him heal the sick. We've seen him cleanse lepers, raise the dead, do amazing things. But he, he does something here that's incredible. He, he comes to Jerusalem and he goes to the temple. And we'll just read from Mark 11 verse 15. Then they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple grounds and began driving out with force the people who were selling and buying animals for sacrifice in the temple area and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise or household wares through the temple grounds. And the, the Amplified says, using the temple area irreverently as a shortcut. When I read it in the Passion, It said that he would not allow them to bring merchandise or their own furniture into the temple. Then it says this, He began to teach and say to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a robber's den. Pause for a second. Jesus has this triumphant entry into Jerusalem, and he goes to the temple, and he sees the state of the temple, and he drives this stuff out. I mean, this is a violent cleansing, a purging of this. Ta- I mean, he's whipping tables over, removing stuff, throwing things on the ground, getting things out of there. And he talks about how he would not allow anyone to bring their own merchandise, things they've purchased in their own strength. And he would not let them bring their own furniture into the temple. I think maybe we've been in a time where the Lord has been so cleansing the church in 2020, getting rid of the merchandise, getting rid of the furniture, getting rid of things that we brought into our understanding of being the church that was never in God's heart for us in the first place. And it's been His mercy and His grace as He's taken us on a beautiful journey, but we've entered into a new era, and it's the era of the kingdom of God. And it's not, it's, this message that I'm sharing with you is not an anti-church message. I believe in the local church. But I believe that as the church, when we gather and as we equip one another and stir one another up to love and good works and as we uh, you know, provoke one another to righteous deeds, that we're doing it with the mandate of bringing the kingdom of God, not just to enjoy nice services while we wait for Him to return. So you see here, he says something amazing. He actually gives a description of what he wants his house to look like. And you know, I think we've heard the scripture so many times that it's kind of become... Tame. But I read this and I said, this is Jesus saying, this is what my house must look like. He says, is it not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? That's an interesting thing to say. He quotes Isaiah 56 and he explains that his house is a house of prayer for all nations. That's what his house is. That's what he wants it to look like. What is prayer? Prayer is unbroken fellowship, communion, unity, oneness with the Lord, communication with the Lord. And it's for all nations. It's a house of intimacy for all tribes and tongues and people. Suddenly, that kind of begins to break the mindset of of the institutional, slick, well-organized church service. I believe in being structured and well-organized for the things of the kingdom. But hear me what I'm saying. God wants to set us free from a come and get mentality 
and realize that we've received everything in Jesus Christ. We've been called to walk in his kingdom, to be sons and daughters. He wants his house to look like a house of prayer for all nations. Do you know that prayer and worship is the only way that the resources of heaven get expressed on the earth? It takes faith to do both. It takes faith to live a life of prayer. It takes faith to live a life of worship. But prayer and worship, that's the only way, that's the God-ordained way for us to bring the resources of heaven onto the earth. So what does it mean to be a house of prayer for all nations? We have to be a house of intimacy. We have to be a praying church. I think 2020 exposed prayerlessness in the church. Because when, when evil came knocking on our door, we went on vacation. And what God's called us to do is to rise up in prayer, to rise up in our authority, to rise up, take the keys of the kingdom, and to unlock and to close. And to walk in power. And I promise you, the world around you and its systems and Babylon which is symbolic in revelations of the systems of this world. It's going to fall. It's going to crash. It's going to burn. My job is not to save those systems. My job is to save hearts, souls that were created and ordained and designed for Jesus Christ and no one else. And so what is the kingdom? What's the mandate of the kingdom? The mandate of the kingdom is not to come and revolutionize your business industry. The mandate of the kingdom is that there are lost sons and daughters, hearts that do not know Jesus in your sphere of influence, and God's given you vehicles to reach them. And you can use your business to bless them financially. And you can be blessed and, and walk in abundance and see God do amazing things. But if it's for you, it's not His kingdom. If it's for Him, it's for Him. It's for His kingdom. How do you know that it's for the kingdom of God? Is it for the king? Well, I've got a kingdom business. Is it for the king? Because if it's for the king, it looks very different. It's shaped and it's marked and it's ruled by different things, a different value system. I want to say this, just because businesses do things for the poor doesn't make them a kingdom business. There will always be the poor around you. Do I believe in helping the poor? Yes. Do I believe in helping widows and orphans? Absolutely. This is part of a, the expression of, of our lives in Jesus here on the earth. But the kingdom is governed by righteousness, peace, and joy. And it's about lost sons and daughters because I can give you a meal and I can make you feel better today. But if I don't give you Jesus, what, what good is that meal if you're eternally separated from God? See, this isn't about evangelists going out there and getting the job done. This is about sons and daughters of the kingdom recognizing what Jesus paid for, recognizing what He came to teach us and to model and, and to show us what to walk in. And now we've got to recognize the hour we're in. We cannot play the game of church. Church was never a game. And if we've been playing the game of church, we haven't been the church. God's saying this is the era of the kingdom of God being re revealed and released and manifest on the earth. And we right now have an opportunity as the people of God alive in this hour. You could have been born at any time in history, but God chose you for now to be his bride in these days. Ah, oh, man, well, COVID-19 sucks. Well, what a privilege that God thought you would be tough enough. That God actually looked at you and said, you're perfect for this season, for this time. And if I can get my spirit in you and if you'll receive and believe who I am in you, you will bring the kingdom realm. And despite deep darkness around you, you will arise and shine. And not only that, but the world will see the glory and the brilliance of God upon you. So suddenly, our responsibility as the church is not to create nice services for you to come and feel good feel better, get through your week. If you cannot get through life without church services, there's a massive problem in what we're doing. Because everything that you need is in Jesus Christ. He didn't say it was in the church. He said it's in Jesus Christ. So why do we get together? Why, why is it so important that he said to us, do not forsake the gathering of the saints? Well, it's to spur one another on to love and good deeds, number one. He also says, by the way, that we are supposed to meet together, not forsake it, meet together as the day draws near. In other words, the, more, the closer we get to Jesus' return, the more we're supposed to gather. So what he says, we're not going into a time of online church where we'll never be together in the same room. We've been saying this for months. It's not happening. So why do we gather? Why do we come together? I'll tell you why. Number one. The number one mandate on the church before anything else, before anything else, our, our highest call is to minister to the heart of God and to receive His love for us. Anything we do as the church outside of intimacy, outside of presence, it's worthless. You know, it's beautiful to take the story of Mary of Bethany. She breaks the, the expensive perfume. She pours it out on Jesus' feet. And it's beautiful to take that story and say, that's incredible, that's amazing. But He puts her at the center of the end time harvest. 
He says, wherever the gospel is preached, her story will be told. Why? Because what he's saying is, do you see the value? She understood. What I, if you can understand my worth, you'll understand my plan. If you can understand my worth, you'll understand the Great Commission. If you can understand how worthy Jesus is, you'll understand why the Middle East matters. Why we as the church have to take responsibility for those who do not know Jesus in our spheres of influence. Because he's worthy. Not because it's, a, it's the next trendy thing to be evangelists that post your videos on the internet every day. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Encourage one another. But this isn't about who's the next evangelist, who's the next anointed one. Who's the, no, we are the bride of Christ, sons and daughters of the kingdom that carry the power of the Spirit of God. And everywhere that we go, it is our job, our mandate, our great privilege as the people of God to bring His kingdom in demonstration everywhere that we go. It is not something I have to psych myself up to do. It's not something that I can't do because I didn't spend two hours in prayer with God in the morning. It's something that I am. See, the message of the cross is about becoming. It was never about organizing something and finishing the to-do list. It's about becoming something. So now we're sitting in this room without all of you and our heart aches because we love you and we miss you. But I feel the, the, the holy burden of God on my shoulders to say, will you make sure they know who they are? Will you make sure they understand that I'm in love with them, that I've called them to intimacy, that at this time they cannot have their faith and their expectations in leaders and the church. They have to have faith in God. Because the reality is I will never be able to live your Christian life for you. I will never be able to follow Jesus for you, but my call to you today as an elder and on behalf of the eldership team and the leaders in this house and in this church, my call and my invitation to you is we are following Jesus. Come and follow Jesus with us. We cannot follow him for you. You cannot follow him for me, but we are called to follow Jesus together. And I'm saying to you, beloved, now is the time to follow Jesus. And what does it mean to follow him? It means that we're looking at his face. We're watching his mouth. Every word that comes from his mouth shapes my decisions. It shapes who I am. It molds me as a person. I'm looking for where he's going. I'm looking for what he's seeing. I'm looking for what he's saying. I'm following him. And I want to guarantee you with this. If you follow Jesus in this era, it will lead you to persecution. See, we haven't got to persecution yet. We're at, we're at a stage called inconvenience. We've been, we've been mightily inconvenienced. <laughs> so inconvenienced that we have to now use our nice fancy cameras and laptops and sound systems to preach the gospel to you. It's an inconvenience. It's not persecution. And if we've got a sore lip because we're inconvenienced, can you imagine when you've actually been hit in the lip? You know, I heard Robbie Dawkins say something so beautiful. He says, you know what? We need to preach the true prosperity uh, gospel. He says, the, the true prosperity gospel is martyrdom and persecution because that's where the riches of heaven lie. Wow. See, the reality is we've come to a place now where how real is God to you? Is he real? Do you know him? Is, there, is he enthroned in your heart? Is he enthroned in your life? See, because when you get to that place, death is nothing. You're not afraid of death. Death is the beginning of everything you've lived for. So how does COVID-19 affect your life when you're not afraid of death? See, here's the reality. When you're in love with Jesus, you're not afraid of death and he's Lord of your life. I'll do what I need to do to honor others. But the reality is I know where my faith is. I wear a mask for you. Bless you. <laughs> I could feel that one went down like a... Anyway, I'm not talking... Here's the thing. Let me say this. Thank you, Holy Spirit. There's sometimes two extremes to this situation that we're in as the church. And I want to make my stand, and as a church, I want to make our stand clear. We don't want to be a people that settle for compromise disguised as maturity. We don't want to be a people, we don't want to be a church that are actually compromising the kingdom of God under the guise of maturity because we actually are afraid of what it means to step out. We don't want to be that. We also don't want to be rebellion disguised as radical faith. We don't want to be a bunch of people that actually have a spirit of rebellion, that are just anti-government, anti-authority. We want to do what we want. We don't care. We have a right to have a say. We don't want to be that and talk about being radical. That's not radical. That's called rebellion. See, we want to be a people that are obedient to the Lord. And everything that we do in obedience, we do in a spirit of honor for the Lord and those around us. So what am I saying? Am I saying don't wear a mask? I am not saying that. I'm saying we wear masks. Why do we wear masks? We wear masks to honor. But wearing a mask and the, the, the restrictions and the things, everything, it will not stop me from being obedient to the Lord. You have to hear this. 
Because is COVID-19 stopping you from being obedient to the Lord? If it is, I want to encourage you, seek the Lord. Let Him do the work that He needs to do in your heart. Amen. Coming back to uh, House of Prayer for All Nations. I believe that we're coming into the time where the Lord will teach us what a people shaped by His presence looks like. We've been, we, we felt that 2020, the end of 2020, we, we were just teaching into being a people of His presence. And on the first day of this year, I felt the Lord say, now I'm going to teach you what that looks like. Because I felt like we pushed into it as a church. We've begun to take a hold of the heart. In our, in our gatherings, we could feel it was like, Lord, we, we really do want your presence. We want your presence above everything else. We're not entirely sure what this looks like, but whatever we can do, whatever's in our hands, we're going after you. But I felt the Lord say, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to show you in this time what a people of my presence looks like. And I'm, I'm telling you this, it doesn't look like what we think or what we've known. It's the unexpected way. And I believe that what we're going to see is an apostolic community, a people that live sent, a people that bring the culture of the kingdom, right? We're going to see that. And it's not because you have well-organized home groups or uh, programs or systems or whatever. It's not because of that. It's because sons and daughters have fallen in love with God. And if I've fallen in love with God, I want to be with my family. I want to break bread with you. I want to uh, encounter you and encounter God and be together and be in the spirit together and be praying together. Prayer meeting shouldn't be because we've organized a prayer meeting. It's my great longing to pray with the saints. Are you hearing me? This is, this is what I'm talking about. People of His presence, they'll begin to do the things of the kingdom before the church has organized it. <laughs> we are the church. Apostolic community. I promise you we're coming into a time of unending prayer and worship. And I believe that the Lord's forming that in this house, in this community, but I believe we'll see it across the world. Morning, noon, and night. That we'll see that. We'll see the expression of what it means to create these greenhouses, these, these physical locations that become wombs for the kingdom of God, where people can come in and encounter God. The dreams of God can be birthed in their hearts, and they can receive refreshing in His presence. They can receive the power of the Holy Spirit, be filled once again, take a hold of faith, and go and do what He's put in their hearts. That's what I believe the physical locations of church buildings and things like that are going to become. They're going to become places of refreshing. And then three, it's coming on the church, a responsibility to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. A responsibility, not just a, a, something that we like, a responsibility, a divine mandate to take the gospel where it's never been taken before. I'd encourage you um, to look at how far Paul traveled. And um, when, I, when I do that, it blows my mind because I see actually back in those days, it was walking or carts or ships, and you see how far he traveled for the gospel, that he would end up from Jerusalem or Tarsus, where he was born his whole life. You see this movement. He would end up in Rome, which is far away. And you see the minutes. It would take him years to get around to all the churches. It's an incredible thing. He took responsibility for, for those who do not know Jesus. So you, we'll see apostolic community, unending prayer and worship, because we're bringing heaven to the earth. What, something I must just say there. Why People go, why? Why, why 24-7 prayer and worship? Why would you go for extended, long, unending hours. Well, if our mandate is heaven on the earth, and I read Revelations 4 and 5, there's a gathering around the throne. And they're singing, they're praying, they're worshiping, they're exalting, they're crying out holy. There's creatures and nations and tribes and tongues and people and storms and all sorts of things that are simply there because He's worthy. So I bring it back to this. Why do we gather as the church? Because He's worthy. We don't gather for anybody else, for Him. So... Apostolic community, extended or unending prayer and worship, and a responsibility to take the gospel to the nations. In Matthew 21, something very interesting, it says it, same passage of scripture about cleansing the temple, but it says this. Jesus said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a robber's den. Listen to this, verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the porticos and courts of the temple area. And he healed them all. <laughs> Jesus cleanses the temple. He gets rid of the stuff that he never wanted in the house. He never wanted that in the temple. He cleansed it. He, he cleanses what's going to be a picture of his bride. He says, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations, which I've just explained to you. And then what does he do? He heals the sick. I believe that it's the things of the kingdom that we're going to see more in the church. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. 
everyone okay? I hope you're okay in your homes. I'm nearly finished. It's very simple, Matthew 10, 7. And as you go, as you go, as you go, where do you go? Well, as you go, as I go to the shops, as I go to work, as I go to see my family, as I go to see my friends, as I go, as I go to the nations, as I go anywhere, preach the gospel. Preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. I'd encourage you to read the rest of that as well. If you want to, uh, sure, I don't know if I should get into that yet. Uh, jump to Hebrews with me. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I'm nearly done, I promise. And let's just go to Hebrews 12, verse 28. Therefore, since we, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, what can be shaken? Everything that was created outside of God's Spirit in us can be shaken. So if the kingdom of God was measured by things that are created, it would be a shakable kingdom. But it's not. So it obviously isn't measured by things created other than the Spirit of God. Spirit of God in us, sorry. So therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude. So here's, here's, when you read this, here's what happens when you understand that the kingdom you live by is unshakable. Number one, you show gratitude. You offer to God pleasing service and acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And you recognize that our God is a consuming fire. So what happens to the church? We're a people that are so thankful. We're so grateful because we're walking in the kingdom of God. We don't live by these standards. We live by another realm. We offer to God pleasing service and acceptable worship. Lord, let my life be service to you. I'm not a servant, I'm a son, but my desire is to serve you as a son. And so I want to bring acceptable, pleasing service to you. My aim is to please you. Imagine just that simplicity of your life. I aim to please you, God. I want to make you happy. I already do, but I want to do things that stir that joy in your heart. Pleasing service and acceptable worship. What if the church was more focused on acceptable worship than we were on feeling good. With reverence and awe, for our God is indeed a consuming fire. I wanted to get to 2 Corinthians 5, but we won't get there today, just around some of the reconciliation stuff. But when I was praying about this, saying, Lord, how do I put a tool in their hand and just say, for them to take the kingdom into their sphere of influence, take the kingdom to where God's placed you. I want to just ask you this simple question. If you just asked yourself this every day, what does a son and daughter of God reconciled to the Father do? in this situation? Because that, the answer to that question brings the kingdom of God every time. What does a reconciled one, somebody who's been reconciled to God, I've been made one with God, I'm righteous in His sight, I've received His righteousness, I'm governed by the righteousness, peace, and joy of His kingdom. What, do, what does that person do in the situation that you're in right now? See, because I think sometimes we're trying so hard to change our situations and circumstances and God's really wanting to change us. Because when he changes you, he's going to manifest his glory in the midst of deep darkness. So I want to encourage you. How do you bring the kingdom to your sphere of influence, to where God's placed you, whether it's your family, your job, anywhere? doesn't matter. Well, ask yourself that question. As a reconciled son and daughter of God, what does that change for me? What does it mean? How do I approach this if I know that I have everything that I need in Jesus Christ? I don't know if that sunk in. I hope that sunk in. Because that, that will liberate you. It's a, it's a practical tool. It's something you can take and say, Lord, Holy Spirit, lead me in this. Because it can't be normal. It can't be the way of the world. It can't be the wisdom of man. There's a clear difference. I've been reconciled to God. I belong to a new kingdom. I've been born again, but not just born again. Born again into the kingdom of God. Amen? And then, whew, there's so many, but... Thank you, Holy Spirit. I really pray that something's getting across in all of this. Um, it's been a little bit all over the place, but there's a prayer in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 that I love. Paul, he says this over them. It's in verse 11. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11. With this in view, we constantly pray for you that our God will count you worthy of your calling to faith. I need to say this slower. With this in view, we constantly pray for you that our God will count you worthy of your calling to faith. 
and with his power fulfill every desire for goodness and complete your every work of faith. For what, for what end? So that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the precious grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. I want to pray this over us today. And I suppose just to try and bring everything together, what I'm, what I'm trying to communicate today is that if we can understand the simple message of the gospel, it was never about your rights or your comfort. It was always about being transformed and being born again into the likeness of Jesus and into his kingdom. What Jesus came to give us as the church was his life and his kingdom. And so we're coming into a time now as the church where we're called to rule and reign and take dominion. I'm just encouraging you that it's the unexpected way. It might not look like what you thought, which is why you need to yield and seek the Lord. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all those things will be added to you. God will give you everything you need to do what he's called you to do at this time. But I want to encourage you, he's coming back soon. Are you carrying the heart of a bride or are you a slave to fear? We don't want to be slaves. We were never born to be slaves. We were born to be children of God, the bride of Christ, to enter into unbroken intimacy, perfect fellowship and communion with God, that you have been reconciled. If you've given your life to Jesus, if you've surrendered to him, I didn't say accepted. I said, if you've given your life to Jesus, not just recognized him, you've died and you've come alive in Jesus Christ, then you are a reconciled son and daughter of God, perfect in his sight. You've received his righteousness and now you can live in his kingdom. The kingdom of God, that's what we're called to walk in and to carry. Father, I pray that every single person here would be counted worthy of the calling to faith. And with your power, they would fulfill every desire for goodness and complete your every work of faith, Lord. Let them complete the works of faith, Lord, that you've called them to. Lord, I pray that this would be so that the name of our Lord Jesus would be glorified in us and us in you. According to the precious grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. I pray grace upon your church, grace upon us at this time. Grace upon us at this time. Lord, I, I pray that, I hope that this message is not um, heavy or burdensome, but it's a liberating message that puts fire in our hearts and, and begins to stir us for the dream of God. That we would be a bride for your glory, a bride that's living and walking in the kingdom and the mandate that you've given us as the church. That we will not be held back and limited by the things that we've settled for. That we are not a group of people on vacation, but actually we're a people that live in the rest of God, that live in his kingdom power, and that can unlock and lock what you say needs to happen on the earth. So we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, bless your people, encourage them, stir them right now. Lord, I pray that they would be so full of faith to live the life that you've called them to live. Lord, I bless them in Jesus' name. I release the kingdom over their lives, healing, deliverance. Thank you, Father, if there's any demonic oppression on their lives, even now, by the joy of your spirit, I can release the fullness of the kingdom of God. And I just say, be free in Jesus' name. Be free in Jesus' name. Let the love of God fill you. Let the peace of God govern your life and let the joy of the Lord be your strength in this season. And we love you and we bless you, Lord Jesus, and we enthrone you. And we cannot wait. We are so excited to see what you're gonna do in this time. We're so excited to be your church, to be your bride, to be your people. And so I thank you for your presence, your power, your glory, and your anointing upon your people at this hour in Jesus' name. Thank you for today. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you that you've blessed us. Thank you that you've equipped us and encouraged us. And I release just the breath of God on every person, on every life here in Jesus' name. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We honor you. We love you. We enthrone you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in and uh, spending time with us. I do pray that this message, obviously, you can't get everything into one, and there's so much my heart longs to communicate, but there's time. And I just want to say to you, don't let something matter more that doesn't matter most. Make sure that you take a hold of the main thing. Jesus is coming soon. Are you ready? We love you so much. We honor you guys. Thank you for, for spending time tuning in. Thank you to this team once again. Um, is there anything else you want to say? All good. Love you guys so much. We'll see you next week. And uh, please be praying for our team that's preparing uh, to go into the Middle East. And uh, we look forward to an amazing, amazing time online next week. Love you guys.